How's it going, New Hope? Thanks for joining us yet again for our online gathering. We're so grateful that you're here. Uh, what comes in your mind when you think about anger? Anger, just think about that word for a second. What, what comes cascading into your, your mind's eye? For me, it's heavily affected by pop culture. When I think about anger, I think of maybe Angry Birds or the little anger emotion person from Inside Out, if you remember that movie, or <clears throat> all the iterations of The Incredible Hulk, a regular dude, and when he gets angry, its body just blows up. Or maybe old school movie, Anger Management, Adam Sandler, Jack Nicholson, maybe you remember that. Or even these pictures we have etched in our minds and our hearts of an angry god throwing thunderbolts to earth. Whatever it is, I think there's pop culture ideas are reinforced by most of our experiences with anger, both in how we receive it and how we give it. And that experience, at least for me, is usually toxic, it's destructive, it's out of control. Here's the deal, and, and I think the hope that we're going to talk about today, that's just one aspect of anger. I, I'll be calling that bad anger. But there's this whole other aspect of anger that is good anger, and we're going to dig into that today. So buckle up. Uh, we're in the fifth week of our series called The Way Forward, Following Jesus in a Chaotic World. The goal of this series is to give us practices to navigate this chaotic season and to emerge from it, not only survive it, but to thrive and to emerge wholehearted people and a wholehearted community. Week one, we talked about unplugging, the practice of taking breaks throughout the day to be in the uninterrupted presence of God. Uh, how are you doing on that? Week two, we talked about simplicity. We only have so much space in our hearts. We need to make sure we're filling our hearts with the most important things and not things that are unimportant. So our, our practice was give something away, give something especially unimportant away to create space in our hearts for good things. The week three, we talked about the practice of seeking beauty. And the, uh, the challenge was to notice beauty throughout. It's beauty's everywhere. Notice it, call it out. That's beautiful. Thank you, God. When we see beauty, when we experience beauty, we're reminded that God is good. Last week, we talked about this practice of, of gentleness. Uh, a gentle word turns away wrath away. We defined that was gentleness is quiet strength uh, that provides space for grace quiet strength that provides space for grace. The challenge was to this week, this past week, to respond gently when someone's coming at you with energy, to just try it. Don't match the energy. Don't try to supersede it. Meet it with, with gentleness. Give space for grace. Uh, how did that go? Did you try that? If not, try it this week. I think you'll be really, really surprised. All these messages are online on our app, on our website. If you miss one, go back. We're hoping to give you lots of different practices. So at the end of the series in a couple weeks, you can take two or three that you feel like may be really helpful to where you're at as a follower of Jesus and begin to weave them regularly uh, into your life. Today, uh, we're going to talk about the idea, not of bad anger, but of good anger. And uh, we will uh, have our scripture reading, uh, so go ahead and take it away. Our scripture reading is from Mark chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Another time he went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with a shriveled hand, Stand up in front of everyone. 
Then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. We're, we're, we're getting a picture of a scene from the Gospel of Mark, one of the four eyewitness accounts early on in Mark's Gospel. And the scene is set in a synagogue. The synagogue was like the Jewish version of church. They were in uh, communities. The temple was in Jerusalem. That was the big house. But in, in surrounding communities uh, throughout Israel, there were synagogues. And people would come together on the Sabbath, the, the day set aside uh, to rest and remember what God has done. And they would worship. They, they would do their version of church. So Mark tells us Jesus has gathered in the synagogue and the normal people there from town, but he started to attract a crowd and he started to attract the religious leaders and uh, the government leaders who are kind of spying for Herod. They're hoping to trip him up. Uh, he's starting to get popular. They're starting to get concerned. So they're looking for opportunities to catch Jesus in a trap. It was, it was a standard game. So that's the setting. And then we're told this man sneaks into the synagogue. I picture him kind of sliding in the back door, right, as it closed, and he's got his hat pulled out, and he just kind of slumps down in the back row, doesn't want anyone to see that he is there. Because he has, Mark tells us, a shriveled hand, which to modern readers are like, okay, um, to first century readers, they would have understood if you had a, a, a challenge like that, a handicap like that, you were deemed a sinner. You were deemed unclean. He would not have been able to go to the, the temple to worship, and he probably would have been cut off from communal worship and gathering in the synagogues. But he's heard about Jesus, and there's hope generating in his heart. And so he thinks it's worth the risk to sneak in with his shriveled hand. He hasn't been there for a long, long time. And so he slides in, that's the scene, and then worst possible scenario ever happens for this man. Jesus, who we presume is teaching, he's up front, he's a rabbi, Jesus points the man out. <laughs> Can you picture that scene if you're that guy? He slides further down, pulls the hat further down, he can't be talking about me, and no, Jesus is like you, Jeff, stand up, or whatever his name was. So the man stands up, and then there, I, I picture the scene, there's a gasp. How did he get in here? You know, you're, you're not allowed to center, you know, unclean. He's going to contaminate this space. Those kind of things may not have been voiced, but they're going on in minds and hearts of the observer. So here he is, the man with the shoveled hand is, is standing in the midst of this religious gathering. And then Jesus asks this challenging question, and Jesus is flipping the script. They're trying to trap him. Jesus is now going to trap them. And he said, okay, we see this man. Is it, it's the Sabbath. Is it, is it, good? Can we do good on the Sabbath? Should we do good or evil? Should we, should we give life or death? It's, he's asking this, these deep questions, and he's accessing, I think, uh, a well-known scripture from Deuteronomy, and it's this, Deuteronomy 30, 19. Today, um, I have given you the choice between life and death, between blessings and curses. Now, I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice you make, all that you would choose life so that you and your descendants uh, May, might live. So Jesus is, is operating off this. They knew this passage. It was a seminal passage for them. And he's like, well, is it lawful to do good then on the Sabbath? Is it lawful to save a life on the Sabbath? So he's putting this in front of, I think, principally the religious leaders, but he knows everyone 
is watching? And it's a difficult question. They didn't really know how to answer uh, some of the back backstory. The Sabbath, they it was supposed to be a day of rest. It was anything but for the common people. They had created these 613 extra laws, many of them detailed things they weren't supposed to do on the Sabbath, and the Sabbath had become burdensome. But even with all the 613 laws, they still held out the caveat that if someone faced a life-threatening situation, they could be healed or saved. Jesus is really, really shrewd in that he's choosing this man that it's not necessarily a life and death situation by the book, but it was for this man because he was cut off from communal life. So they really didn't know how to answer this question. And Jesus was calling them on the reality that the law, as it was created, was meant to do good. It was meant to give life and to celebrate life. The heart of the law, as Jesus would teach, was he, he honed it down to two principles, love God and love others. The heart of the law was love. The irony was the religious leaders in their attempt to obey the law had forgotten the heart of the law. They had lost the, uh, the forest for the trees, if you will. And Jesus was calling them on that. He's like, here's this man for me to heal him would be loving. Is that okay? Your go. <laughs> so you can picture the scene. Suddenly they're trapped and they don't know how to answer. We're told uh, right before Jesus heals this man, and it's interesting that when he heals him, he doesn't touch him, so he doesn't break the law. He, touch, he heals him with his words. Mark tells us he restores his hands with his words. But right before, we're told this really important part. And again, I read these passages, read them for a long time. I always miss the most important things. It seems like the most important word here, I think, is, is the word anger. It says that Jesus saw their stubborn hearts. He saw these, these religious leaders in their attempt to obey the law had forgotten the heart of the law, which was, was love. And it made him angry. That's what Mark tells us. It's kind of surprising. Uh, this Greek word is the word orge. And it means, it's, it's a complicated definition. No, it's not. It means angry. That's all that it means. We can't squirm out of the fact that Jesus was angry. So two take-homes from this passage right away that we have to wrestle with and we will for the rest of this message. One is there has to be something that I'll call good anger. It can't, anger can't all be bad because here's God incarnate, Jesus, in this moment of healing, in this moment of love, also expressing anger. So there has to be good anger. And that good anger is tied to and, and bound together with love. There's a relationship between good anger and love. Jesus, when he is, he's getting angry here, it's not what we think of. He's not going incredible hawk on us. There's not, there's not smoke pulling, pouring out of his ears and, and his top's not blowing. Those kind of things that when we think of anger, that's what we go to. That's bad anger. Jesus is not bad angry. He's good angry. What does that mean? Well, to understand that and to begin to unpack that, we have to differentiate between bad anger and good anger. And this is going to be one of the quests of this message, one of the things I hope we'll come away from and begin to think through in our minds and hearts to be able to separate when we're experiencing good anger and bad anger. So let's talk about bad anger. Bad anger is toxic and destructive, and it's out of control. There's just some of the characteristics of bad anger. I think we know them well. I know them well from my own experience of receiving that type of anger and giving it out. And it's the primary type of anger that we know. Frederick Buechner, one of my favorite writers, he says it really well. He says this, 
Of the seven deadly sins, anger is possibly the most fun. To lick your wounds, to smack your lips over grievances long past, to roll your tongue, the prospect of bitter confrontation still to come, to savor to the last toothsome morsel, both the pain you are given and the pain you are giving back. In many ways, it is a feast fit for a king. (laughs) But the chief drawback is that what you are wolfing down is yourself. The skeleton at the feast is you. Writer Anne Lamott says in in a more succinct way and also a hubris way, she said to nurse a grudge, to be angry against another person is to drink rat poison and expect the rat to die. That's what the experience of bad anger or toxic anger is. We hold it in and it literally, it eats us alive. When we hold anger in and it's bad anger, we're kind of saying with all of our persona and all of our heart that someone owes us, God owes us, that person owes us, the world owes us, I'm so angry. But the irony is it's killing us, it's eating us alive. That's what these writers are talking about. Uh, the the uh, One of my experiences with bad anger, and I don't think I'm alone in this, is what is called a road rage. I, years ago, I, I had this thing where I had to wear this monitor that uh, that um, gave my doctor feedback on blood pressure throughout the day and all through the night. Maybe you've done something like that before. And when going over the report later, he said, it's really interesting. And then you had to document what you were doing when. He said, your highest points of blood pressure was whenever you were driving. <laughs> I was like, oh boy. You know, it is, it's that road rage thing. It just, for some reason, I, 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 I struggle with it. And uh, George Carlin, he's a comedian years ago. He did this bit where he said, when we're on the road, if, if, if people are going slower than us, they're idiots. If they're going faster than us, they're maniacs. <laughs> the only good drivers, we think, are ourselves and then people that get out of our way. There's no, he's, he's totally true. Ah, oh, you're a maniac. You're an idiot. We just want everybody to be exactly like us or, or get out of our way. And we get, we get angry about it. And here's the deal. I've realized I drive a Prius, so road rage in a Prius is pointless. It's self-defeating, right? People just laugh at you. When you experience road rage or any kind of rage, any kind of bad, toxic anger, it eats you alive. I mean, what am I going to do with that, right? That car, I don't know who that person is. It eats us alive. The scriptures are really, really, really clear. The only antidote for bad anger and toxic anger is forgiveness. That's it. And it's to let it go. And there's an entire message here. There's an entire series here. The message isn't on, on bad anger today. But we have to differentiate. We have to know what bad anger looks like. And let me just say, let me just take take a, a, a pastoral moment here and speak to, to some of you who may be not just occasionally experiencing toxic or bad anger, but you're in the grip of it. And I will say this from decades of experience in ministry and experience in my own life, you can't get out of that yourself. You, you, need, you need help when you're in the grip of bad anger. You can't just flip the switch and forgive and, and move on. Please get help. Go, go see a counselor. I see a counselor. It's really, really important to surround yourself with people who will help you. If you're doing life with someone who is in the grip of bad anger, um, get them help. Call them out on it. <laughs> Come alongside them. If it's an abusive situation, then you need to, to, to call 911. You need to reach out to someone that can, can enter into your world and help you. We have a 24-7 uh, Caroline, Pastor Caroline, that you can call at any point. We're here to help you. If you want to dig deeper into this aspect of bad or toxic anger, I would highly recommend a book by Gary Chapman called Anger. So, uh, but, but again, our, our 
topic today is not bad anger. I think we know bad anger. We, we feel it, experience it, live with it all the time. The topic today is this new kind of anger, and we'll refer to it as, as good anger. If you want to start to provoke a really interesting conversation at a dinner party or <laughs> a conversation with a friend or even at your, your, your family uh, meal, say, hey, did you know that the Bible commands us to be angry? And then just leave it there. See what people say. It kind of messes with them. But that's indeed true. Uh, Ephesians 4.26a says, in your anger, do not sin. In your anger, do not sin. So Paul, in the way he's phrasing that, is commanding us to be angry, but not bad anger not toxic anger, this good anger that we see Jesus evidencing. We see God uh, expressing this type of good anger throughout the scriptures. Here's one example, and this is from uh, the book of Judges. It says, they forsook the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshiped various gods of the people around them. They aroused the Lord's anger because they forsook him and served Baal and the Asherus, in his anger against Israel, the Lord gave them into the hands of raiders who plundered them. We're told several times in Exodus and Deuteronomy that God's anger burned against Moses and the people for how they lived, especially we see God angry in the Old Testament throughout Scripture when there's unjust treatment of people who are vulnerable and helpless. That's when we, we see God's anger aroused. Jesus, in our passage, we see him get angry, this word, Orge. This is not the only time. Uh, Jesus, uh, as we know, cleared out the temple courts because his father's house was meant to be a house of prayer and it had become a house of merchandise. Uh, Jesus called the religious leaders at certain times hypocrites, uh, tombs. He even called them children of the devil. His good friend, his lieutenant, his go-to disciple, Peter, at one point, he called him Satan. <laughs> Get away from me, Satan, because Peter was trying to co-opt power for position and not sacrifice. So we see, we see the Son of God, uh, God incarnate, getting angry. We see God throughout Scripture getting angry, but it's good anger, and it's anger that has this connection to love. Let's explore that. I, I hear a lot of people say, I don't want an angry God. I don't want an angry Jesus. I don't want an angry world. And my response would be biblically as a pastor, well, then you must not want a loving God or loving Jesus or loving world. I'll say it this way. A world without anger is a world without love. Ponder that. A world without anger is a world without love. Love and anger are, are bound together. They are necessarily linked. The opposite of love is not anger. The opposite of love is indifference. The opposite of love is when we see someone getting hurt and we see gross injustice, we just sit back and we do nothing. That's the opposite of love. Uh, anger is not the opposite of love. Anger is, is, is bound up with love. Good anger is bound up with love. Good anger sees injustice. They see things are not right and their heart is aroused to make it right. And, and it's a loving emotional response that's, that's founded and rooted in love. A world without anger is a world without love. I would define good anger this way. Good anger is zealous love, kind of passionate love that seeks to restore. Zealous love uh, that seeks to restore. So it's so important, as you can see, because these things are polar opposite, that we need to begin to differentiate between bad anger and good anger. So I've compiled a little checklist for us, if you will. 
Uh, this checklist has, has four boxes you can check, four components of good anger. And some of our practice this week is going to take that checklist, and whenever we feel anger, we're going to run our anger that we're feeling through this checklist and see what comes out the other side. This checklist will reveal to us if the anger we're experiencing is good anger or bad anger. It's really, really important that we do so. All right, so here are the, the four points of the checklist. These are four components, biblically, of good anger. The anger we see uh, God showing, the, the anger we see Jesus evidencing. Number one, good anger is slow. In, in God's definition of himself, last week Jesus said, I'm gentle and humble of heart. God does the same sort of thing to Moses in Exodus 34. And God describes himself this way, the Lord, the Lord, or Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, here we go, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Isn't that astounding? One of the most definitive essential qualities of God. He could have listed a ton of things, but it's a relatively short description. One of them is that God's angry, but he's slow to anger. This description, this this phrase, slow to anger, is found all over Scripture. Exodus, Numbers, Nehemiah, Joel, Jonah, Nahum. It's found in the Psalms and Proverbs. James, the brother of Jesus, uses it in the New Testament. It's everywhere. The phrase in Hebrew literally means long-nosed, which is weird. But in the ancient Near East, the idea of anger was connected with the idea of, of someone's nostrils flaring. And that happens when somebody gets angry. You've probably seen that before. That, that was the connotation when people thought about anger. So God is long-nosed, means that it takes a long, long time for his nose to flare. He's, he's slow to anger. One of the things we can do to cultivate this slowing of anger is to take timeouts. We think of timeouts for, for kids and parenting, and, and I think they're, they're excellent and, and needed, but I think probably adults need timeouts more, <laughs> in my opinion. Now, my wife does a fantastic job of this, me not so much. So when we start to get angry at one another and we're having an argument and conflict, I tend to want to go at it and like, you know, raise the energy and let's, let's, let's get to the bottom of this and talk about this. And she's more self-aware of her emotions and it's starting to go into bad anger zone. And she'll say, you know, somewhat regularly when we have conflict, hey, I, I'm not in a good place to talk about this. And it's not going to go well if we can, I just need to take a time out. I need to take some space so I can reset. She's wise. She's, she's, she's seeking uh, to sort through her emotions and come away with good anger, not, not bad anger, because good anger is slow. It takes a long time to heat up. All right, so that's check point number one. When we're trying to say, okay, what am I feeling, good or bad anger? Good anger is slow to anger. If it's like a pot boiling over anger, if it's like this and it's, that's not good anger. That's toxic anger. That will eat you alive. That will destroy you and those that you love. So number two in the checklist is uh, good anger is under control. So in Psalm 78, 38, it says, yet he, being compassionate, speaking of God, forgave their iniquity and did not destroy them. Often he restrained his anger and did not stir up his wrath. God's anger is under control. Let's go back to the sages. We spent a lot of time with them this summer, the men and women that populate this just room of wisdom, generation after generation after generation of skillful living. This is what they say, two different verses here. A fool gives full vent to his anger, but the wise quietly holds it back. It's restrained, it's held back, it's under control. Uh, also, people with understanding control their anger. A hot temper shows great foolishness. 
we, we probably know self-control is one of the fruits of the Spirit. It's one of the indications we're under control of the Spirit and not the flesh. There's times in my life that I felt anger to such an extent, I literally felt out of control. It's scary. It's frightening when you come to those moments. But our anger, if it's good anger, is meant to be under the control of the Spirit of God. It's the idea when you're driving a car and you're going too fast or the engine's running too hot and you got to downshift. We can do that. If we're in control and it's good anger, we can downshift our anger or, or we're using remote control to like up the volume or, down, or lower the volume. We ought to be able to do that with our anger if it's good anger. If we can't do that and our anger is controlling us instead of us controlling it, it's bad anger. It's toxic anger. It will destroy us and it will destroy those that we love. Third, third component of, of good anger. Good anger is slow, it's under control. And let's come back to this idea because it's a central idea. It's loving. And this is hard. I, I, I know that you're probably struggling when you're hearing this. Good anger, not bad anger, but good anger is loving. It's intrinsically bound together with love. Good anger loves God and loves others. Uh, God is, here, here's the description. Let's go back to Exodus 34. God's using these, these several phrases to describe the core of who he is as God. He's slow to anger. And then what's the next phrase? Right beside it and abounding in love. Slow to anger and abounding in love. They work together. Good anger is a necessary part of love. A world without anger is a world without love. Uh, I came across this book where the guy was talking about this article he found. It was an elementary school that uh, put together this guide for students, a handout on advice on dealing with bullying. And it had nine rules. Uh, and I'm, I'm not going to read all nine to you, but here's just a couple of the rules. So this is elementary school students handed this guide. They're reading it with their parents. Here are some of the rules on how to deal with bullying. Number one, refuse to get mad. Number two, treat the person who is being mean as if they are trying to help you. Uh, let's go to number six. If someone hurts you, do not get angry. Uh, number eight, don't be a sore loser. <laughs> number nine, learn to laugh at yourself. These are elementary school students who are getting bullied, and this is the advice uh, given to them. An article came out about this, this handout and called it the worst bullying advice ever, and that is true. We can read that and know this is terrible advice to give a, an elementary school student who's being bullied. Why is that? Because it's not loving. It's not loving. They're, 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 they're dealing with injustice. They're dealing with, with horrific things. Uh, a proper response would be good anger. That's the proper response biblically. Uh, anyone who says that there's no place for anger in the world or there's no place for an angry God has never been bullied. Uh, you've never been abused or oppressed or assaulted. If you have, if you've gone through anything like that, and anyone you love have, has gone through it, then you understand that a world without anger is a world without love. Paul tells the Roman churches, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil and cling to what is good. Hate what is evil and cling to what is good. That's, that's a necessary part of love that we're hating on and we're, we're, we have good anger towards what is evil and broken and not right in the world. That's part of the heart of God. It should be part of our hearts as well. In the book of Amos, God is depicted as this roaring lion and he's roaring at the injustice and the oppression of, of the most vulnerable in the midst of his people. And he's 
angered by it, but it's a good anger. It's a righteous anger. It's a loving anger. It's a roar, not only of anger, but a roar of, of, of love. Another way to think of good anger is that good anger is uh, the deepest assurance that we're loved. A good anger is the deepest assurance that we're loved. Not bad anger, but good anger is the deepest assurance that we're loved. When I, uh, I've been in ministry for a long time, Dallas, I've countless times I've sat down with uh, couples that are going through marital difficulties. I'm not a counselor, so I usually will meet with them once and try to get them to a counselor. But in those settings, I'm always, and this might seem weird, but I'm always somewhat encouraged and hopeful when I see that there's some anger there, especially if it's good anger. It shows me they're engaged. It shows me they're not indifferent, which is the opposite of love. When I am meeting with two couples and I get a lot of this and just no talking and look like they're checking their phones and checking time, when are we done here? And they're, I'm like, I don't know that there's hope. Uh, good anger, when we receive it from someone who loves us and sees us doing something like say, hey, that's not best for you. That's the heart of good anger. That's the deepest assurance uh, that we're loved. Good anger is loving. It's not self-seeking. It's, it's for the good of others. A world without anger is a world without love. So, so good anger, here's the checklist so far. Is it slow? Take, takes a, a long time to heat up. Is it under control? It's not controlling us, but we're, we're controlling it. And is it loving? Is it for the good of others? It's not self-seeking. It's for the good of others. And then finally, and this is a really important one, uh, good anger restores Good anger restores. Let's return to our, our story. Mark uses his words very precisely as all gospel writers do. He tells us the man stretches out his shriveled hands. So picture this moment. This man is just like, you gotta be kidding me. I should have never come today. He's standing up, he sticks out his shriveled, which is like the, the emblem of, his, of the fact that everybody thinks he's a sinner and he's unclean and he's just lived with this forever. It's cut him off from life. And it says that Jesus, here's the word that, that Mark uses, Jesus restores his hand. We're just told that Jesus is angry. But Jesus' anger now is channeled to, to restore. If our anger is just about getting fired up and just about pointing out everything that's wrong with the world and yelling about it and screaming about it and posting on it on Facebook, I mean, that's a component. That can be a component of good anger. But if that's all that it is, then it's, it's bad anger. Good anger always restores. It always seeks to enter a space and build up. Good anger that doesn't restore, or, or, or good anger that doesn't bring restoration is, is bad anger. So think of it like this. Think of it as if, you've ever, if you have a house and you've ever had a house guest over to watch your home. Maybe many of you probably have, some of you may have had them. You can imagine. So you, uh, there's good house sitters and then there's bad house sitters, right? The, the bad house that are, you return and they've left your house worse than they found it. There's just dishes piled up and the trash is overflowing and uh, the dog's lost 10 pounds because it hasn't been fed and, and you don't even want to look at the bathrooms and it's just disgusting. When you left the house was all right, you return and it's a horror show. That's what bad anger does to situations, to relationships. Bad anger is toxic it's destructive, it's out of control, it eats the person that's exhibiting it alive and also takes out people in their path. It's horrible, it leaves the house worse, it leaves things worse than, than, than where, where it found them in the beginning. Good anger does the opposite. Good anger is the good house guest. 
the person that you come back home and yeah, you left the house in okay shape. It wasn't disastrous, but you walk in and oh my goodness, the windows are clean and the carpets are vacuumed and the floors of every dish is put away and reorganized. Uh, that Tupperware drawer of all that, mis they've organized it and labeled it. The dog's looking happy and wagging its town has actually put on a few pounds and there's fresh cut flowers uh, spaced out around the house. The bathroom's sparkling. That's what good anger does. Good anger enters situations and leaves it better. Good anger unnecessarily uh, restores. What does this look like? This looks like the organization MAD. You've probably heard of this organization, Mothers Against Drunk Driving. Uh, this is an organization born out of good anger. It was started by a woman named Candy Leitner some time ago, and Candy's daughter was was. 13-year-old daughter was in a car and it was plowed in the side by a drunk driver and she 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 passed away. Can, uh, her, her, her daughter's name was Carrie. Candy was left shell-shocked and she was also left angry. Probably bad anger and good anger, but out of it emerged this good anger. This resolute determination slowly and under control and lovingly to bring restoration, to make sure she could change a system so that at the time, uh, drunken drivers were just getting off and not getting much of a penalty at all. In fact, the person uh, that killed her daughter got off with, with hardly any penalty and it had uh, previous offenses. She said, this is not right. We can't continue to do this or other people are gonna needlessly die. So she started this organization, Mothers Against Drunk Driving, they started by going to courtrooms, and when these uh, courses, uh, cases would come up, they would always have a mother there like this on the front row, looking at the judge, looking at the lawyers, making sure they were looking into the eyes of a mother. They started uh, uh, branching out nationally, I think even internationally. They have, they have 400 uh, different groups now of, of MAD uh, throughout our nation. They started using the airways and telling their stories and using magazines and newspapers, and, and they've absolutely changed the legal landscape and the landscape of our country uh, for, for drunken driver offenses. Way less deaths, and, and not only deaths of, of the people who are killed by drunken drivers, but also drunken drivers themselves. There's love there for them. Uh, a world without anger is a world without love. We've been talking a ton about racial injustice in, in, our, in our country. And a while ago, we updated you with a statement from New Hope, and, and um, I've spoken about it some in, in, in our messages. And just kind of as an aside update, we have a team of people that are, are actually going through a class, and they're learning, and they're studying. And this team of people are going to prayerfully, together with our elders and our staff, put together a plan for our church, how we can kind of pull up a seat to the table of this conversation. And New Hope can play a role for good, for restoration uh, in, in this conversation of racial injustice, not only in our city, but, but in our nation. So stay tuned. I'm presently just reading and learning and listening. That's the posture I'm taking in this season because I had a lot of learning to do. We've got a, a ton of resources <clears throat> on our website. If you're like me and you need to learn, you want to learn, join me. I'd love to talk with you about those things if you want to read some of the books and, and watch some of the movies. But a wonderful example of this good anger, and I, I thought about it almost instantaneously in writing this message, is Dr. Martin Luther King uh, Jr. He gave us a, a picture of what good anger as a pastor, as a follower of Jesus look like. Um, and one of my favorite writings of, of Dr. Uh, King is called Letters from the Burning, Birmingham Jail. 
or the letter from the Birmingham jail. You can find it readily online. I, I really encourage you to read the entire thing. I don't have time to read the entire thing today, but I wanna read a piece of it to you. And it's a little bit lengthier uh, piece than I would normally read, but I think it's important for us to catch the tenor and the tone and the heart of Dr. King as a follower of Jesus, as somebody who's dedicated and called to make things right in the world, what it looks like to be angry in a good way to evidence good anger in our lives. So this was written in April 16th, uh, 1963, Dr. King's in jail, and he's writing to his pastor friends, principally his white pastor friends, who he said later had promised privately to have his back, but publicly continued not to show up and kind of said, hey, just wait, just, and this is what Dr. King writes. Perhaps it is easy for those who have never felt the stinging darts of segregation to say, wait, but when you have seen vicious mobs lynch your mothers and fathers at will and drown your sisters and brothers at whim, when you see the vast majority of your 20 million Negro brothers smothering in an airtight cage of poverty in the midst of an affluent society, when you suddenly find your tongue twisted and your speech stammering as you seek to explain to your six-year-old daughter why she can't go to the public amusement park that has just been advertised on the television and see ominous clouds of inferiority beginning to form in her little mental sky and see her beginning to distort her personality by developing an unconscious bitterness towards white people. When you have to concoct an answer for a five-year-old son who's asking, Daddy, why do white people treat colored people so mean? When you take a cross-country drive and find it necessary to sleep night after night in the uncomfortable corners of your automobile because no motel will accept you. When you are humiliated day in and day out by nagging signs reading white and colored, when your middle name becomes boy, however old you are, when your wife and mother are never given the respected title, Mrs. When you are harried by day and haunted by night by the fact that you are a Negro living constantly at tiptoe stance, never quite knowing what to expect next, and are plagued with inner fears and outer resentments when you are forever fighting a degenerating sense of nobodiness, when, then you will understand why we find it difficult to wait. There comes a time when the cup of endurance runs over and men are no longer willing to be plunged into the abyss of despair. I hope, sirs, you can understand our legitimate and unavoidable impatience. Dr. King, you don't have to see him writing this. You can hear it. Uh, he's undeniably angry, and rightly so, by all the things and so many more that he dictated. But did you note it's good anger? It's not out of control. It's not toxic. He's not seeking to destroy. He's not seeking to hurt other people. It's, it's good anger. It's thoughtful. It's, it's reasonable. It seeks to restore what is broken, and at its heart, it's loving. Dr. King was pointing us as a follower of Jesus to the kingdom come, to the beautiful community that Jesus promised, and he's trying to help us all usher it in together. You, you, I think you can catch some of the love in his words, but you really catch it at the very end as he concludes his letter. Let me just read this to you. Can you feel the love here? If I've said anything in this letter that overstates the truth and indicates an unreasonable impatience, I beg you to forgive me. I hope this letter finds you strong in the faith, I also hope that circumstances will soon make it possible for me to meet each of you, not as a civil rights leader, but as a fellow clergyman and a Christian brother. Let us all hope that the dark clouds of racial prejudice will soon pass away and the deep fog of misunderstanding will be lifted from our fear-drenched communities. 
and in some not too distant tomorrow, the radiant stars of love and brotherhood will shine over our great nation with all their scintillating beauty. Yours for the cause of peace and brotherhood, Martin Luther King Jr. This is good anger. This is, this is much needed anger for a world without anger is a world without love. Our practice this week, my practice, your practice is simply this. Let's check our anger. Let's check our anger. You're gonna get angry this week. It's a, it's a tough time. There's so many pressure points. You're gonna get angry this week, maybe even today as you're watching this message. Stop when you're beginning to feel it and check your anger. Bring out the checklist and run it through. Here's just, a, again, another pastoral warning. I've seen this many times in church world. When people hear of this good anger or righteous anger, they begin to take their bad, toxic anger and call it good anger. And they begin, especially in church religious communities, to use their good anger, cloak it, use their bad anger, cloak it like good anger and use it as a, as a bully pulpit and, 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 and use it in an abusive way, frankly. Please don't do this. Um, this is why we have this checklist. Um, most anger we're all experiencing and receiving is bad anger, it's toxic anger. Good anger is sadly rare, and we need to learn to cultivate it. And that's why we're talking about it today as a practice. So when you're feeling anger, check your anger. Run it through and, and say, is my anger slow? Or is it boiling over, or is it taking a long time to heat up? If it's taking a long time to heat up, all right, all right, that's it's good. Okay. Is, your, is your anger under control? Is your anger controlling you? Or do you have full control on it? You can downshift, you can turn down the volume, you're fully in control. If you are, great. If you're not, beware. Is your anger that you're feeling, is it, is it loving? Is it self-seeking? Is it all about you? Or is it honestly seeking the good of others? That's not good for you. And that's where it's coming from. If, if it is, great. If it's not, beware. Watch out. And then finally, on the checklist, is your love restoring? Is it restorative? When people experience your love, are, are you the good house guest or the bad house guest? Are, are you tearing down and leaving things worse? Or are you building up and leaving things better? If, if, if you're experiencing that toxic anger, check it, get help, read books, see a counselor, involve people in it. It will eat you alive. Please listen to that. But if you're starting to experience this good anger, Praise God, because we need more good anger. If we don't have good anger, something's wrong because look around at our world. We need good anger because a world without anger is a world without love. Let me pray for us. God, thanks uh, for, again, I think you're, the, the scriptures blow my mind all the time because they, they take misconceptions and they take things that we feel and experience and we put it in a box and they explode the box and we begin to think differently. And, and for me, uh, writing out this uh, message, wrestling with this idea. I spend most of my time thinking, experiencing, dealing with bad anger. And here is one of the core attributes of God. One of the, the main attributes of your son, Jesus, was good anger. As we follow you, especially in this chaotic world where there's so much that's not right, I think we can all agree on that. We're called to link arms together, brothers and sisters. Follow your son, Jesus, and display not bad anger, not toxic anger, but good anger that, that is zealous and, and, and it's loving and it seeks restoration. We need your spirit, God. We need your help in doing that. So we ask for your help. 
Uh, God, may we be people this week that display abundantly this, God, this idea of good anger and we bring restoration to those in our path. Uh, for your namesake, God, we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.